Hello there. Welcome back to another episode of I Love This, You Should Too, a podcast with me, Samantha Hees, and him, Indy, the best skater in the world, Randawa. Best skater in the world? Yes. Oh, even better than Paul Coffey? Yeah. Even better than Connor McDavid? Yeah. I don't think Connor so. Connor McDavid looks like a toddler in comparison to you. <laughs> Well, here at I Love This, You Should Too, we are a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is locally grown and community supported. So, Indy, anything exciting happening this week? No. No? Is there? Oh, I don't you know. You said that like you had something. Well, spooky time is over. Right. And now But it continues in my heart. It's always spooky time in your heart, I know. Um, but now comes the month of the year where you fight me on getting festive. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I don't do Christmas in November because Christmas is literally in December (laughs) and I'm willing to give you a full month. I know you, I know you are. But a month. Uh, Yes. Not two months. Yes. I do call it pre-Christmas month. Okay. So this month we will not be festive, but in December we will have four festive episodes. You can keep the Christmas spirit in your heart, just like the spooky spirit lives in mine. True. It's haunted in there. It's full of ghosts. Oh, God. Yeah. That I explains had, so much. I might need an operation. <laughs> A heart full of ghosts. Okay. Yeah. That, make, that checks out. That and cholesterol. <laughs> <laughs> How our podcast works for new people is... This is our pre-episode for the main episode, and so this week we are going to be each sharing a spoiler-free review of something that we are very into this week, and then Indy will be introducing what our movie for next week will be. And I definitely planned it out, and I'm not going to pick it just off the top of my head. (laughs) So before we get into picks of the week, uh, we just wanted to talk about our first sponsor, uh, which is the Well Endowed Podcast by the Edmonton Community Foundation. It's hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkick, produced by Lisa Pruden, and it explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to work in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds, and the podcast tells the stories of how these endowments intersect with the community. So you can subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com and uh, listen to some of those episodes. I've listened to one. I can't remember who was on it, but I really enjoyed the story that they told. Awesome. We'll have to check that out. And you check it out, too. So, Indy, it's your week to start us off with your thing of the week. What are you really into this week? Well, like I said, the spooky spirit follows me throughout the year so i'm going a little spooky and as you know i pretty much only listen to 60s and 70s funk and soul these days yes but there was a brief period this month where i was rediscovering some music from my youth Mm. and that is scarface and the ghetto boys oh yes this seems like something that we've talked about before What do you know about Scarface and the Ghetto Boys? Can you think of anything? Because you have listened to them in the car with me, but I'm not sure if you knew who they were. So Scarface suffered with mental illness. True, true. And I think my cousin Aaron bought you a book or lent you a book about Scarface. Yes. Yes. So Aaron, thanks. If you ever listen to this, I'll (laughs) get you that book back. But I did read his autobiography, Diary of a Madman. But let's start kind of at the beginning. 
So I got into Scarface a little later in his career because, well, I was late to the game, but that was kind of when I was 14. Mm -hmm. I started listening to him, but... I think uh, I'm late to the game. Right, right, right. (laughs) So I started listening to when I was about 14, but that's when he'd kind of more separated from the Ghetto Boys. Uh, To start at the beginning, he's a rapper. Mm -hmm. The Ghetto Boys are a rap group. They're from Houston, Texas. And I missed the beginning of their careers so I liked Scarface growing up, but I didn't get on board until, like, The Untouchable and My Homies, which is later for him. But mm-hmm. to me, that was, like, I was a teenager and that's what I got. And I never really went back and listened to a lot of his old stuff until quite recently. It actually kind of started from, I teach 3D printing classes as part of my job okay. sometimes. <laughs> and uh, the proprietary file for the 3D printer I use is called a G-code. <laughs> And to a group of children, I made the joke of, and then that it exports to a G-code, which is the proprietary file for this printer, and also my third favorite Ghetto Boy song. <laughs> and nobody knows what that means, but one person did and said, well, what are your first two? And without hesitation, I was like, well, of course, mind playing tricks on me, and damn, it feels good to be a gangster. Mm, okay. Makes sense. So... Uh, based on that, I was like, yeah, what are my favorite Ghetto Boy songs? And I went back and listened to all of their old stuff. And actually, I'm going to hold to those three. Those, those are my three favorite. You just name them off the top of your head. That's amazing. Yeah. And I, I've i listened to a bunch more and kind of got reacquainted with them. And those are my three favorite. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about Scarface mostly and a little bit about the Ghetto Boys. So uh, Scarface grew up in Houston, Texas, and he was quite poor. But he had a very musical family. He had some aunts and uncles who were musicians and some very famous ones at that. But oddly enough, he listened to mostly rock and metal Hmm. growing up. And by the time he was 16, he had uh, survived several suicide attempts. He had been institutionalized for, I think, about two years. And he was homeless and then was able to get quite a bit of money because he was selling drugs. Uh So all this by the time he was 16. And then this is when he starts changing his career to become a rapper. (laughs) Right. At 16, 17 maybe. So he started selling drugs and he does talk about how he has some regrets, including that he introduced crack into a lot of communities. Like these communities never... I remember you telling me about this. They'd never seen crack before and he was the one that brought it in. And he feels badly about that, but... Also, he was a homeless 16-year-old who was just out of the mental institution and was trying to do what he could. Not the most stable individual? No, maybe not. But I think given the situation, he did better than I probably would. Yeah. Same here. (laughs) He talks about this time in his autobiography, and he never says he murdered anyone. But it kind of seems like he may have. Because he does talk about terrible things that he saw as a child, and his list of things that he witnessed were things like decapitations, people being burned alive in cars, and it's not like he's bragging or anything. He's saying, like, no, I saw some terrible, terrible things. And he also talks about how you actually deal drugs and he like walks you through the process because i was like yeah i see it in movies but i don't really know the day-to-day logistics yeah there's more logistics than movies give you so he goes through that kind of stuff and he also talks about how easy it is to murder drug dealers or people who are cooking 
um, who were making the crack. Uh-huh. And because he said, like, he would go to pick up from people and he would just find them all murdered. And then he would just leave. He's not going to call the cops, no. right? Because he doesn't want to be involved. And how often this happened and how it very easily could have happened to him. And he never says he was the one murdering. But mm. sometimes I'm always like, wait, you just kind of say these things just happen. But You showed up and they just happened to be dead. But who knows? That's a little suspicious. But yeah. Uh, either way, at the while he's still a teenager, he starts uh, doing some beat mining and... Oh, beat mining, for those of you out there who are not familiar with the term, uh, most hip-hop beats are, come from samples from something else. Mm-hmm. So you're like looking through old vinyl, you're finding things, you're finding little one-second loops that you really like, and then turning that into a song. Right. So he starts producing, and he thinks that that's what his job's going to be, but he eventually starts getting into rapping because just to like rap on his own tracks, right? Mm-hmm. And eventually he gets a deal with a local, let's say, businessman? In uh, in Houston, who's starting his own rap label called Rap-A-Lot. And Rap-A-Lot has existed for many, many years. I didn't know the history of it, but I learned a lot about it and how shady it was from mm. his autobiography. And at this label, they say, we're going to make this group called the Ghetto Boys. The Ghetto Boys have already had one album. Then he's it wasn't good. So he, um, this businessman type guy says, we're bringing a whole new band together, but you're still going to be called the Ghetto Boys. A new group of Ghetto Boys. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of produced in a way like we would think about boy bands today. Right. Where they're not like people who grew up together and then started doing this. The producer instead... It was like manufactured. Yeah. yeah. Finds these three people and says, okay, now you're the Ghetto Boys. And throughout the years, the lineup does kind of change as hmm. well. So Scarface would do the, the writing and... The other members at the time, uh, first there's uh, Bushwick Bill. Okay. Bushwick Bill was born in Jamaica, then moved to New York, to Bushwick, I'd imagine. That's mm-hmm. why I got his name. And then to Texas. And probably the most striking thing you'd notice about him is that he is three foot eight. So he's uh, very small. He has dwarfism. And he's also crazy. People say that word, but in this band, uh, they they did, like, they were institutionalized. They he was um, wow but bushwick bill was crazy in a different way he would just start fights and scarface himself talks about how many times he wanted to kill him and came close to actually doing it oh wow that's uh that's not a great dynamic to start a band with and then uh the third member was willie d willie d was a golden gloves champ that's an uh, amateur boxing competition and then he had a pro boxing career as well he was thrown out of high school for fighting so much. He was tried and arrested for armed robbery. And uh, yeah, so he was a, a really good fighter. And then he's like, yeah, I'm going to rap now too. He's maybe my least favorite member, but you know, kettle boys, all good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1988, they released their first album with this group of ghetto boys. And it was called Grip It on That Other Level. And it was critically praised and condemned by the media. And it started a subgenre of hip hop called horrorcore. Hmm. And spooky. Yeah. That's why this is kind of Halloween yeah, okay. related, because a lot of their songs would be about spooky things. And they kind of started it, but I think we can all agree on who perfected horrorcore, right? Y- you. No, what? No. <laughs> the Grave Diggers 1994 album Six Feet Deep. Oh, okay. Everyone yeah. out there was like, yeah, of course, that's the best horrorcore album. <laughs> Come on, Samantha. Know your rap. It's funny because like horrorcore and horror movies I link together because I think 
horror movies have spooky things, but you know they're not real, and that's what makes them fun. And I think the Gravediggers are like that. But the Ghetto Boys are not like that because they're usually talking about things that they've actually seen and done, and that's mm. less fun, spooky, and more horrific. Um, yeah, okay. So I the think I think that's the difference between them. And the violence in the Ghetto Boys music, and they are violent. They were often categorized as gangster rap because there was so much violence in it, but it's not braggadocious in any way. It's, yeah, these things happen and they're terrible. Wow. Okay. And they also deal with uh, mental illness and rap about that a lot on that album as well. And all of these themes really come to a head in 1991 when they released the album We Can't Be Stopped. And that's probably my favorite Ghetto Boys album, but love it or hate it, it's a very unique and, I guess, remarkable album. Hmm. So their first single from that album was my favorite song of theirs called Mind Playing Tricks on Me. And if you hear rap that is very violent, what do you think about that? What kind of associations do you have? I maybe wouldn't like it or would think it was too scary for me. Right. But and I think a lot of people think that they're putting on a persona to mm-hmm. kind of fit a stereotype and sell more records. Right. I think that's what a lot of people think. And that's probably true a lot of the time. But I would say it's probably not the case here. I think there's a lot more going on than just glamorizing violence. I think it's definitely uh, an outlet for these guys. So this uh, song has a kind of a lo-fi version of a beat sampled from an Isaac Hayes song. And I'm mm. really into Isaac Hayes these days. Okay. It's very good. Uh, called Hung Up On My Baby. And the lyrics are all about like mental anguish, the sheer exhaustion of living their day-to-day lives, dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder, paranoia. Uh, They touch on suicide and loneliness and everything that goes with that. One of the verses, Scarface is talking about how he's so paranoid that he thinks the mother of his child is like out to get him or is against him in some way. And then this causes him to drive her away. And now that she's gone, he has all these regrets and he realizes that he loved her and he's just so lonely and desperate. Wow. And then he also talks about the idea that God is watching him and judging him based on what he's done and that he's kind of irredeemable at this point. Bushwick Bill has a verse and it's about a large man who's following him while he's trick-or-treating on Halloween and then he turns and he like attacks him and then his friends help out and then he realizes that it's not Halloween and his friends aren't there and there's no man there and he's just punching the concrete. And then in the video he actually gets um, strapped down to a gurney and taken away at that point. Whoa. And I think his verse was also written by Scarface. Scarface writes a lot of the stuff for for some of the other members as well. But let's take a uh, little listen to a (laughs) verse from Mind Playing Tricks on Me. And our podcast is under the explicit label, but, you know, warning, because that applies. At night I can't sleep. I toss and turn. Candlesticks in the dark. Visions of bodies being burned. Four walls just staring at a nigga. I'm paranoid sleeping with my finger on the trigger. My mother's always dressing, I ain't living right. But I ain't going out without a fight. See, every time my eyes close, I start sweating. And blood starts coming out my nose. It's somebody watching the act. But I don't know who it is, so I'm watching my back. I can see him when I'm deep in the covers. When I awake, I don't see the motherfucker. He owns a black hat like I own. A black suit and a cane like my own. Some might say, take a chill, B. But fuck that shit, 
There's a nigga trying to kill me. I'm popping in the clip when the wind blows. Every 20 seconds got me peeping out my window. Investigating the joint for traps. Taking my telephone for text. I'm staring at the wall right on the corner. It's fucked up when your mind's playing tricks on you. Wow, that's uh, like violent in a whole different way. How do you mean? Does that make sense? Like, like it's very violent in what they're describing, but it's also kind of like, maybe violent isn't the right word, but it's very like real. Disturbing? Disturbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, disturbing is probably the right word. Um, but yeah, no, that was interesting. It's a good song. I like it because if you don't listen to the words, it's a pretty laid back kind of fun song. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't seem very aggressive at all. It's one of their more uh, slower paced songs, I think. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. And uh, one of the craziest things about this song, this uh, single about murder and hallucinations and paranoia reached number 23 on the U.S. charts. So it was the 23rd most popular song. Wow. And that's impressive. I, yeah, I couldn't conceive of something like that happening now. Huh. No, that's really And impressive. that's not just the hip-hop charts. That's just everything. Like all the charts. Yeah. And that album went on to uh, to go platinum, so that means selling a million copies. Wow. That's impressive for, like, an album that kind of seems like it would be not mainstream, like, kind of under the radar. Yeah. And Unless I think you're it still for this kind of music. was, right? Because even, um, like, hip-hop wasn't very popular all over and when it was it was new york and la you didn't have a lot of other things so they Mm. were kind of the first ones that really put southern rap on like on the charts right and uh, scarface never liked being identified as southern rap he's like if it's good it's good it doesn't matter where you're from but whether or not he likes it he was kind of um known as like the godfather of southern rap he was the first one to Mm. to make it big really Hmm. interesting that's very cool and another thing about why this Seems uh, remarkable that this album did so well. I want to show you the cover of the album. And you can tell everyone out there what you're seeing. Uh, So it's one of them strapped to the gurney and the other two are walking him into a hospital, I assume? Can you see anything about the guy's face? That's Bushwick Bill on the gurney. He's got like a cut on his face or Uh, like some gauze. I guess you can't see very well there, but he has no eye. What? His eye has been shot out. What? I did not notice that, but that's uh, that's scary. So the album cover was a picture that was taken after uh, Bushwick Bill got shot through the eye and into his brain. Mm, okay. And there's a lot of stories about what happened. The official one, I think, that they ended up going with and that's on the police reports is attempted suicide. Mm. But... What most likely happened is that his girlfriend shot him, but he didn't want her to get in trouble. Right. Apparently, they had a lot of violent arguments. Very that was tumultuous relationship. Yeah. But uh, Scarface said, like, yeah, I wanted to shoot Bill all the time, so I see where she was coming from. Yikes. And so there was talk about, like, they were fighting with the gun, and he was like, fine, just kill me then, kill me then. And then it kind of went off, and it's not sure whose finger was actually on the trigger. Either way, he didn't die. But while he was in the hospital, they did use this as a photo opportunity and took off the eye patch and took oh, a picture. Oh, that's what's on his neck is it's taped under his eye and then right. it's just like hanging down. Okay. I assumed he had some kind of like chin or neck injury. He may have as well. Yeah. 
And uh, they just removed his IV drip and went to the hallway and took this picture. (laughs) Uh, What you do for fame. Yeah. And around this same time, there was another single that was kind of uh, the B-side, which got much more popular many years later. So the song is called Damn It Feels Good to Be a Gangster. And... In 1999, I think, is when Office Space came out. And Mm -hmm. Office Space used it, and it got kind of popular from that. But the song came out in uh, 92, and it was a B-side for one of the singles from from this album, and then was released on a compilation album then as well. Oh, interesting. And I like this song a lot because it's similar in its kind of lo-fi beat. And he goes, they go on to talk about, like, what it means to be a gangster. What does it mean to you? I don't know. I don't know that I've ever, like, made a list of what makes me a gangster. I like the takes they have on it. Uh, Scarface's first verse is just about that you don't need to act tough because you know you are. Mm-hmm. Bushwick Bill has a verse about giving to the poor and helping people pay their bills. That's pretty gangster. Huh, interesting. Okay. And the last verse they do in the voice of uh, George Bush. Because Bush was the president at the time, and they contend that the biggest gangster, of course, is George Bush, because he uh, murders tens of thousands of people all the time. Very true. And the verses are like, if you make me mad, I'm just going to send 10,000 of your friends to go die and things like that. And it's, they do get pretty political in a lot of their stuff. There's this one song actually called Fuck a War, where it's just their anti-war song. And it's pretty solid. I really should have picked that one. Huh. Hmm. Maybe G-Code is my fourth favorite. Well, we'll get better. That doesn't matter. You can revise whenever you want. Fuck a War is a good song, too. Okay. But we're going to listen to a little bit from Damn It Feels Good to Be a Gangster. Okay. Damn It Feels Good to Be a Gangster. A real gangster-ass nigga plays his cards right. A real gangster-ass nigga never runs his fucking mouth because real gangster-ass niggas don't start fights. And niggas always got a high cap. Showing all these boys how we shot them. Gangsta-ass niggas don't flex nuts Cause real gangsta-ass niggas know they got them And everything's cool in the mind of a gangster Cause gangsta-ass niggas think deep Up 365, yo, 24-7 Cause real gangsta-ass niggas don't sleep And all I gotta say to you Wanna be, gonna be cocksucker pussy pranksters Is when the fire dies down, what the fuck you gonna do? Damn, it feels good to be a gangster How's that one for you? It was good. I like that one better. Less scary? Less scary. Um, very cool. Cool political message at the end. So I'm not really going to talk about the rest of their career because it was this the early part that interests me the most. The rest of Scarface's autobiography talks about like all the different things he does after that and the success he has on different labels and how this original label stole all of his money. Oh, and uh, I think most of them are dead now. I think DJ Reddy Red's dead. Bushwick Bill's dead. I don't know about Willie D. Uh, Scarface went on and does a lot of solo stuff, but mostly is into producing. And I think he did run for city council in Houston a while back as well. He also got COVID and almost died, but I think now he has a kidney from his son. And now oh, he's still alive. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Willie D is still alive. He's 54. Oh, good on you, Willie D. He looks very clean cut now. Got he's enough. like a YouTube channel guy. Oh, that's right. Actually, he's, I did know about that. social commentary videos. Yes. He is uh, a constant present on, presence on YouTube. I should have known he's still alive. Interesting. Yeah. 
Uh, but I guess we should play a little bit from the last song, my third favorite, possibly fourth favorite Ghetto Boy song, G-Code, which is um, from, it's a later one. I think it's from the early 2000s because it's back when I was actually old enough to, uh, you know, buy music and stuff. Right. I like this one. It's one of my favorite hooks. And I like when lyrics are very specific and the hook says we don't trust the judicial system and i like that because it's just straight saying it which is fun yeah so here's a little bit of g code i don't want to run no more but i know that if i stop i'll be another nigga headed to heaven hanging with pop these motherfuckers look at me like i'm a slinger making threats to my family dog i'm in danger who do you call when these agents want you dead and they hit these penitentiaries and niggas make a pledge so i dip and up the fed all my homies stuck out on indictments caught up on the phone talking prices 25 to life's the mandatory minimum my whole community gets treated like they're criminals Frank and bitches getting motherfuckers hung gotta see out on the inside and everybody's song. Mothers and fathers separated from their sons. Households are broken, you couldn't hold your tongue. If it's yours, say it's yours. Take the case, do your time. You was out here getting money from it, everything was fine. Now you're crying in your jail cell, stressing on the case. And the DEA's at a nigga every other day. I can see it in your face, in the middle of your soul. You in question of your manhood, homie. Keep it cold. We don't talk to police, we don't make a peace bump. We don't trust in the judicial system, we shoot guns. We rely on the streets, we do battle in the hood. I was born in the G-Code, embedded in my blood. We don't talk to police, we don't make a peace bond We ain't trusted in the judicial system, we shoot guns We ride on the streets, we battle in the hood I was born in the G-Code, embedded in my blood That's a fun one, I like that It's probably more like hip-hop that you've heard It's yeah. a little bit later, it's not And also most Ghetto Boy stuff is probably closer to that in tempo The first two songs are probably two of their very slowest But I just hmm. like those ones a lot I like the other, the last one that we listened to first like Damn, better. it feels good to be yeah. a gangster. I like that one, and then this one, and then the first one. Those are your top three Ghetto Boy songs now. So now if someone asks you, what are your top three Ghetto Boy I songs? I feel like, oh, here we go. <laughs> well, probably G-Code is probably my favorite. And you'll be like, yeah, yeah, we don't really trust the judicial system. We'd shoot guns. Yeah, there you we go. We rely on the streets. We don't talk to police. I'm just imagining me saying this while wearing something, like, very glittery and, like, wearing a lot of pink. Yeah. All right. Well, that is my thing of the week. Ghetto Boys and Scarface, just kind of them in general. The book that I read is called Diary of a Madman by Scarface, whose real name is what? Brad Johnson? I kind of forget. Let's say it's that or something similar. Something similar. He's credited as Scarface on most of the things. Oh, okay. Um, I think Scarface's best album is probably The Untouchable, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of good ones. And probably We Can't Be Stopped is my favorite Ghetto Boys. Interesting. All right. Well, check it all out. You know, wherever. Just where you get the things. Yeah. Go to your local Sam the Record Man. Is that still a business? No. Um, I bought my first CD there ever, though. Interesting. Oh, that's nice. Onyx Onyx. was my first CD. That's fun. I don't know what my first CD was. But I did buy tapes before that. Yes, I do remember having tapes. I think my first CD might have been like a Spice Girls CD. That makes sense. Onyx and Spice Girls, that kind of sums yeah, us up. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, it's true. That does sum us up as a couple. <laughs> <laughs> well, Samantha, what is your thing of the week? So I do a lot of books on this podcast because I listen to a lot of audiobooks. And so this week is no different. Um, I read The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, which is Ooh. by... What? 
This, we, are, we are overlapping in books. Oh, that my never goodness. happens. Oh, go on. Uh, so it's by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Uh, it was published in 2017, and it's a historical fiction novel. So you know I like kind of historical fiction stuff. That tends to be where I I stay for my, my audio books. But um, the novel tells the story of the fictional old Hollywood star Evelyn Hugo, who at the age of 79 decides to give a final interview to an unknown journalist, Monique Grant. And according to the author, Evelyn Hugo was loosely based on actresses Elizabeth Taylor, Ava Gardner, and Rita Hayworth. So I found this one super interesting. Um, Elizabeth Taylor, of course, was married eight times to seven different men. And Ava Gardner revealed the secrets of her life to a journalist right before she died and was eventually published as a secret conversations book. So uh, you know this book, though, clearly. I haven't read it, actually. Oh! It is on my shelf because I used to run this... um, LGBTQ plus book club for seniors. Mm-hmm. And we would um, read books that were kind of on theme all together yeah. and then discuss it. And this was going to be one of our books. But of course, this was taking place at a hospital and they're seniors. And now COVID is a very big thing here. So I that book club has been postponed indefinitely. I hope to one day go back to it. Yeah. But I do have that book. So Please tell me more and how much you liked it, and then maybe I'll read it next. Yeah, so like India said, uh, this is like an LGBTQ plus. Is that what we're... That was... The appropriate letters to use? Sure. Okay, so um, it does have uh, those themes in it. Um, Evelyn Hugo is this Hollywood icon, like any of those actresses that I just mentioned. And she, right before her death, decides that she's going to tell her story to a journalist. But the journalist has to promise that she won't publish any of the information until after Evelyn dies. And the reason is, is because Evelyn is giving this super honest um, narration of her life, basically, and uh, says, like, I've lived very glamorously, but I've also lived a very quietly scandalous life. And if people knew, um, it would kind of like change how they thought of me. And so um, Evelyn Hugo has been married seven times. She uh, has only married men, um, but she has a best friend um, who is another actress. And you find out that through this story that the love of her life was none of her husband's and so it's this beautiful kind of story of how this friendship with this woman is actually um her great love and uh how they fight and how they don't talk for years and how they kind of stay in each other's hearts and it's really cool to see um in a time where uh like unconventional relationships weren't really accepted and for someone in the spotlight like this to have um kind of like cover up marriages in order to continue having her relationship so i think everybody should read this because it was very very good um and uh there's a big twist at the end and uh so i hope that i didn't spoil any i don't think i spoiled any of it but uh i hope that you read it and you're shocked she was dead the whole time yeah it's a real sixth sense. 
because I get the twist now. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't mention anything about the twist, but uh, it's really cool to see how they kind of hint at it throughout the book, and then at the end, you're like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> oh, now I'm gonna be looking for it. I'm gonna catch it. Good luck. So uh, the book is called. The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. And it looks like before the pandemic, uh, there was a television show in the works. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah. So in 2019, Freeform and Fox picked up the rights for development. And they had started on it, but not cast it yet. And I assume that's because the pandemic kind of ruined everything. Yes. As it does. So uh, I look forward to seeing that because I really enjoyed this book. And hopefully um, that comes out in the future and it doesn't just get scrapped. Great. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that as well. And to finally reading this because I've had it for a very long time and I keep wanting to read it. And then I got into my big Kurt Vonnegut thing and he has a lot of books. So I've not done those yet. <laughs> okay. Maybe after that. Maybe after that. Well, it's a really good read or listen. And um, I found it quite fast. Like it, it wasn't like a slow read for mm-hmm. sure. So I think you could probably slot it in between some Vonnegut. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that one out. And before we get into next week's pick, let's thank our second sponsor, and that is the Alberta Association of Optometrists, who are proudly celebrating a century of caring for Albertans. Parents can easily miss their child's eye problems. Issues can occur in only one eye, making them difficult to notice, and the earlier eye health or vision problems are identified, the more likely they can be corrected. The ICI Learn program, and that's I E Y E. Get it? It's a fun little optometrist pun there. Oh, I get it. I get it. <laughs> well, the ICI Learn program provides an eye exam and free glasses if needed for kindergarten aged children. Hmm. 25% of kids begin first grade with an undiagnosed eye problem. That was me. Me too. Well, actually, I don't know when it happened, but when I was like 14 and got glasses, I like lost my mind. (laughs) This is what all you people see? I've been missing out for so long. But if you want to book your child's eye exam, please visit optometrists.ab.ca. So... This is the part of the episode everyone looks forward to. Is it? Yeah. I wonder if it is. I don't know. Because I feel like they look at the title of the podcast episode and then they see it right there. Oh. You don't. You're probably looking forward to it because you don't know what the movie's going to be. True. This is the part of the podcast episode that I look forward to most. What are we going to watch next week? Well, Samantha, I'm going to give you some elements to a movie and you tell me out of 10 how much you like that element. Okay. And all of these elements are in the movie we're going to watch. Romantic comedy. Ten. The male lead is very handsome and has a career as a famous musician before he was in this. Mm, Seven. The female lead is super cute. Eight. It's a fun, happy time romance. Eight. Mm, You might like this movie. Oh, interesting. Okay, a few more elements now. It's in a language you can't speak. Four. It mostly takes place in a mental institution. Oh, six. Ideas of what humanity actually means and is. Two. 
Okay, so <laughs> this might be a good movie that branches the two of us because there's a lot of things you love, a lot of things I love. Interesting. Okay. The movie we are going to be watching is called Saibogu Jiman Kwenchana, which means I'm a cyborg, but that's okay. Oh, okay. So this is a 2006 South Korean romantic comedy and The trailers for the movie themselves. I my Korean's not great. I can speak and read a bit though. Right. And it kind of uh, translates to a sort of romantic comedy. Okay. Well, this sounds interesting. All those things that you described to me seem like they might make a good movie. A review I read about it described it as half one flew over the cuckoo's nest and half Emily. Mm. So it's a good mix like that. It uh, did quite poorly at the box office. It's debatable why, but I think that this movie had a slower pace than the director's previous works. And in the past, he had done these like cool revenge type stories, and now he's doing this kind of in between movie that was too cute to be a dark revenge movie, but too odd to be a date movie. And it kind of lived in this in-between area. Uh, it was directed by Park Chan Wook, who probably his most famous movie was Old Boy, which is very good. Have you ever seen Old Boy? It's a Korean movie. No, I have not. They did uh, an American remake, but that wasn't as good. Maybe we'll do Old Boy at some point. And he did uh, what he called the Vengeance Trilogy, which was Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Old Boy, and Lady Vengeance. Hmm. All quite good. He did this movie called Joint Security Area, was his big breakthrough. Then uh, Thirst in I think two thousand nine, which was a vampire movie. <laughs> uh, The Handmaiden in two thousand sixteen, I still haven't seen, but it's one of his, and it's a horror, so I need to check that one out right oh. away. And he did do one English movie that I know of at least called Stoker, and Stoker. I feel like I've heard of it. We talked about it when we talked about that bad Irish movie with Matthew Good. Oh yeah, what's that movie called? It was terrible. Amy Le- Adams. Leap year. Leap year. Um, because Matthew Good was in Stoker. Uh, Stoker, I think, is good. Did very poorly. Most people hate it. Some of the best sound design I've huh. ever heard. Go okay. listen to that movie. Oh, it sounds so good. <laughs> I think there was one shot where someone's just like rolling a hard boiled egg, and it was just amazingly done. But anyways. <laughs> Uh, this movie, yeah, didn't do terribly well. It had a budget of about three million, which is a little different from Practical Magic at its seventy-five uh, <laughs> mil, and it only made probably less than five million. So it's not a, a huge hit. It's not terribly well known. I think out of Park Chan Wook's oeuvre, <laughs> I couldn't think of another word, and then I just went for it with oeuvre. Of his, you sound a little pretentious. Yeah, it, it's very pretentious. <laughs> of his um, resume, uh-huh. it's probably one of his less liked ones. Filmography. Filmography—that's the word. So that's a word normal everyday people use. Yeah, right? Isn't it? I don't think so. Everyone says filmography. I don't think so. What do you call a list of movies then? List of movies. I have only seen this movie once. Oh, I did quite enjoy it, but that was quite some time ago. So I wonder if I'm gonna like it a lot still, because I remember it both being whimsical and silly and fun and charming, 
but also it's mostly about mental illness. Huh. And there are a lot of movies that do the same thing that I find very annoying. Right. Because there's so many movies where every autistic person is just like a whimsical genius who's just a little odd. And they're always kind of against any sort of medication and they're, everything is just fun and not serious. And then I also want to be like, sure, but also some people, like, that's an illness. They need treatment. Not all mental illness is fun. Like it's portrayed in a lot of movies. Yeah, it's not whimsical. Yeah. So I worry about that. But mm. I liked this movie when when I saw it. So we'll see. So the two leads are Im Soo Jung, who is a now a pretty well-respected actor. She was in A Tale of Two Sisters when she was quite young, which oh. is a very good movie. A good uh, spooky movie. Spooky. Yeah. <laughs> and the male lead is one that everyone will know well, most people, because it's Rain. Do you know about Rain? No. So Rain... Uh, is that a person? Yeah. Oh, okay. Continue. <laughs> so Rain, whose real name is uh, Jung Ji-hoon, is a worldwide giant celebrity because he was a uh, singer in Korea and then, of course, went all across Asia and had worldwide tours and has sold millions and millions of records and then went and got into acting. I think this might have been his debut. Oh. I also saw him in Ninja Assassin, which I thought he was quite good into. But if that's like a, a just a straight Ninjas and assassins. He's a ninja assassin. Most ninjas were probably assassins. Whoa. That's what they do with their ninja abilities. Oh, I abilities. thought they just like fought people. Just to beat him up and then they stop? Yeah. Um, yeah, so he was really, really popular. And I think the few people that did go watch this were probably just watching it to see Rain. Because okay. he was that big of a celebrity. And I remember when this came out, I thought it was so silly. Like, this is crazy that a guy like this is now, like, an actor. You don't see some guy like Justin Timberlake getting into movies, and then he's in every movie ever yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. And then I was like, okay, yeah, I guess that one doesn't work anymore. But his name's Rain. You don't see, like, The Rock getting into every movie, and then The Rock is in every movie now. So I guess uh, Rain was just leading the way for everyone else to follow true. suit. True. Very true. Yeah, and all the trailers for this are in Korean, so we could play it, but you probably wouldn't get a good sense of there out there yeah. with just the audio. So we'll skip that, and we'll just say that it is a fun, mostly lighthearted, whimsical movie. It, it might be a little difficult for people to find, so let's do the old classic of, if you really want to watch it and you can't find it, let us know. I'll hook you up. And also, for all of our Edmonton listeners, you can get it at the Edmonton Public Library. Oh, there you they go. They do have a few copies. At least one of them has my sticker on it. Oh, stickers. I love when you see indie stickers in the wild. Yeah, Andrew got one for the orphanage. Yeah, I saw that. Thanks, Andrew. We miss you. Did he leave your work? Yeah, all my good friends all left. Well, mm, not all. Sorry. Mostly. The vast majority. I miss you all. <laughs> Now you can work like me where you just sit quietly at your desk and don't talk to anybody. Or I could just be friends with the new people. That's an option? I think so. Oh. Huh, we'll see. I'll give it a shot. I'll, I'll report back to you. Okay, let me know if that's an option for me because I don't think so. I don't think it's an option for you. No. I, I, I know about your work. <laughs> my work, they're pretty cool. Yeah, no, I agree. I think your coworkers are cooler than my coworkers. You heard it here. Samantha's coworkers who all <laughs> listen to this podcast. Zero of them listen. That's why they're someone cool. 
Oh, that's why. I go to your work and they're like, you have a great podcast voice. And I'm like, thank you. Yeah. And they're nice enough to not say, but Indy, you're junk like people on the internet do. But let's stop talking all uh, meta. Podcasting about podcasting is one of my least favorite things. Yeah. So let's just stop it there and say, go watch I'm a Cyborg, but that's okay. Or I was trying to read the Hangul and I was like, this is so hard. It's like, Cyborgu. And it's, oh, cyborg. Cyborg jiman kwanchana. Kwanchana oh, okay. means, that's okay. I used That's one phrase I used a lot. Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. That's okay. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm excited to watch this one. Let's do that now. Everyone out there, go grab your copy and meet us back here next week when we break down. Oh, this is our first Korean movie. Yeah. First of, maybe not many, first of several. <laughs> first of a few. Yeah. Okay, well, let's go read some subtitles. That sounded sarcastic, but to me, I'm going to believe it was enthusiasm. Bye. Bye, everyone. Well, Samantha, what is your thing of the week? Um, so I... (laughs) Why was that word four (laughs) seconds long? I don't know.